Welcome, welcome, welcome to the inaugural episode of Road to Qatar 2022, presented to you by Breaking the Lines. I am Rithik Sarkar, and today um, we're going to be uh, kicking off the series with a chat about the continent that I suppose some of us don't really pay too much attention to till the World Cup rolls around once in every four years. But today, I hope to change your mind as I'm do- uh, joined today with uh, Daniel Agil. Uh, hi, Daniel. How are you doing today? Hi, Vic. Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on the, uh, the podcast. I'm really looking forward to having a discussion about um, African football and the chances of African teams at the upcoming World Cup. The reason I want to kick off with Africa, Daniel, is because AFCON is running right now. And I feel like it's the right time to talk about um, African football. It's, you know, the eyes are glued to AFCON like they haven't been before. Uh, how have you felt about the tournament so far, Daniel? It's uh, It's been a very interesting tournament. I think it had a bit of a slow start. There was quite a few nil-nils, one-nils. But I think from the second round of group games, onwards it's been a really exciting tournament uh you've had some major shocks like equatorial guinea they're ranked for 130th something like that in the world beating algeria who were on a 35 game unbeaten run you also had and they're the defending champions as well right yeah, they were the defending champions and that was a huge shock and that was after algeria had failed to beat sierra leone uh, in their first game uh we've seen comoros beating ghana uh 3-2 Tiny, tiny Comoros. Wow, yeah, that was that was that was quite something. It, especially with, uh, I believe, uh, the substitute keeper was 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 that Comoros? Or am I remembering a different country? Uh, so that that was in the uh, in the Cameroon game in their last sixteen game. They had to pay. Well, their three goalkeepers were out. They had two with COVID. One had um, some sort of injury, and so they had to put. I think it was the right back or the left back had to go and go. And um, in that game, what was remarkable is they were playing a defender in goal. They had a player sent off after 10 minutes, and they still only lost 2-1 to Cameroon. So that shows you the uh, how AFCON, how competitive AFCON is, and how... Yeah, and just yeah. like the never-say-die attitude of, an, of playing for your country. Exactly, that's it. And you can't, it's just not really replicable. You don't really see that in um, a lot of other tournaments. Um, I suppose like the Euros, for example, obviously have great teams, but the chances of a team of Comoros' size competing with teams like Ghana and um, Cameroon, the equivalent in Europe, we probably wouldn't see or be very unlikely. So I think that that gives AFCON a bit more of a, makes it a little bit more special in that sense that anyone can can actually beat anybody and you never actually know who's going to be able to lift the trophy. Yeah, and I think that's the larger point we're coming to is um, obviously uh, there's a lot to talk about when... um, you know, discussing African football on slightly a larger scale. But I wanted to get to, uh, I believe it was Gianni Infantino's comments, Daniel. Um, have, have, you, have you heard about what he had to say um, in a recent uh, conclave? Um, I think I know what comments you're talking about. The one, is it the comments he gave yeah. to the, the Council of Europe? I think it was. Yes, yes. So um, just, just for whoever doesn't know, um, the head of FIFA, Gianni Infantino, said... Um, this was in response to uh, the s- certainly um, c- certainly controversial idea of holding a World Cup every two years. He says, we need to find ways to include the whole world, to give hope to Africans so that they don't need to cross the Mediterranean in order to find maybe a better life, but more probably death and sea. We need to give opportunities to have dignity, not by charity, but by allowing the rest of the world to participate. Maybe a World Cup every two years is not the answer we discussed. 
I said, Daniel, when when he said this, um, I went from <laughs> uh, I went from abject horror to you know complete entertainment to wondering if there is a larger point behind this because he talks about we need to give opportunities, we need to give dignity, and I feel like that's been a larger theme across African football, especially in the World Cup. Um, you know because there is a change in the way larger news outlets you know report about african players even in europe and even in africa and i've always felt like that needed a change um do you feel do, do you feel that there is a difference with the way you know us as a larger footballing public maybe you know view african football or african players yeah i think that there is uh there is a difference i think when you think of AFCON, people are always trying to, when they try to create headlines, it's always negative. Things that they try to portray or they'll try to make out that AFCON is a bit of a joke to be laughed at. So if something goes wrong, they'll make it out that it's something that could only happen at AFCON, even though similar types of mistakes or controversies also happen at other tournaments. And I think it's that denigration of... Uh, the AFCON tournament and African people generally is something that is a big problem in football and society in general. Um, and I think when it comes to players as well, you get a lot of that, When especially African players. There's these, what, from my understanding and from what I've read and what I've seen, there's a lot of these myths around African players that they're only fast and strong, but they're not intelligent, don't see the game, they're not creative. Oh, creative. Is a total myth. Like, uh, Yaya Turi yeah. is one of the most creative players you'll ever see on a football pitch. JJ Koch is another one. Um, it's just it's not true. It's just that people have these ingrained prejudices. And they, and those, unfortunately, they're some mm-hmm. of the people who are in power making decisions. And so what you end up happening, what ends up happening is that those kind of opinions that they have end up manifesting. So you may end up with some African players who do, who are just, I suppose, workers or just strong and fast because that's what the scouts think African players should be. So they look for those players. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, that's yeah. an interesting point, you know, um, scouts, because generally um, a lot of the controversy surrounding, you know, sometimes African players in um, who come to Europe for the hope of a better life. Like we only see the cream of the crop. There are so many who just get lost in the system you know, with agents who either just demand, you know, high fees or the prospects lives. And, you know, if they don't make it in the first you know, couple of rounds of scouting, they just get stuck in a land they don't know. It's, um, you know, it's often scary. It's, it's, it's not something we consider too much because we hear about the, you know, the Sadio Mane's, we hear about the Yusuf and series of old who, um, you know, successfully made you know the jump to europe and for for every one of them there is a bunch who just don't and it's it's scary to think how much how little um you know we do know that i agree with you a lot as you said for every successful player there's 10 that are unsuccessful and those 10 that are unsuccessful there's a whole host of reasons sometimes it is it's led by agents being taken to countries where they don't actually have a club and the players are abandoned or they go to a country where they don't speak the language, they don't know anybody, they don't look like anybody. Because obviously, if you think about, I don't know, an African person, so a Moroccan or a Cameroonian, for example, you don't look the same as most people in most European countries. So if you go somewhere where you don't look like anybody, you don't speak the same language, it's very difficult. 
um, and those sort of struggles and trying to adapt and trying to perform on the football pitch is not easy. Um, so yeah, as you said, for every every successful, every Sadio Mane, every Yusuf Nasiri, every Salah, there's ten others that have not had the careers that they'd hoped for. But yeah, for a number of reasons. But we just have to hope that in the future that there continues to be great players like Salah's and Mane's, etc. But you also have more of the the players who aren't maybe as good but can still have successful careers because they're given the right support and the right guidance and given fair opportunities. Yeah, and that sort of leads me into obviously my next point, which is a bit of a reversal. Um, like over, I would say maybe the past seven or eight years, um, you know, competition for spaces between within a lot of European nations has been heating up, um, for lack of a better term. And you see a lot of players who are now, a lot of good players in a lot of top leagues who have have found it difficult to break into, you know, maybe say the nation they were born into. They do have dual citizenship. Obviously, there are a handful of glamorous um, examples, but, uh, you know, just just, just going off the top of my head, um, you know, Wilfred Zaha choosing to play for Cote d'Ivoire, Pierre Aubameyang choosing to play for Gabon, uh, Riyad Mahrez choosing to play for... um, I believe, I believe it is Tunisia. If I'm wrong, I can edit Sorry. that out. Is it Tunisia? For who? Riyad Mahrez. Oh, Algeria. Algeria, Algeria, of course, of course. Um, you know what? I won't cut that out because it's important to know <laughs> that um, this, this is why we need to know more about African football. Um, but yes, uh, yes, of course, the final last year. But, uh, you know, these are players who were born in European nations who did well and they at some point had had a choice to make, and this also goes with you know young like Amy, uh, uh, currently of Paris Saint Germain, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so this is this is something I really want to get your take on, Daniel. Um, there there are a bunch of reasons why someone chooses to play for another country. You know, for some for some people um, like Hakimi, it is a strong familial tie, which you know supersedes you know where you were born and brought up. Uh, some yeah. for some people it doesn't. For some people, are um, you know the nation they were born into is the nation they represent. But for some people, um, you know, if they have greater connections to somewhere else, do you feel that you know these decisions are sort of a mix of you know wanting to play for you know maybe a family identity, maybe uh, for a family member, or do you feel that this is an interesting opportunity that? Um, you know, African nations are actively looking looking at, you know, players who could represent their nation, you know, born and raised and trained in Europe, playing for our country. Yes, yeah, so I think for, it just depends on the player, really. So I think for some players, it's definitely the influence of their family, their parents, and the strong cultural ties and identity they feel for the country of their parents. Sometimes that's due to the, the way they're brought by the parents, but also that can be due to the way that they're treated by the broader society in which they're in. So, for example, in France, a lot of uh, Africans, so uh, North Africans, Sub-Saharan Africans are badly treated in France. There's a lot of discrimination. So they may feel like they're not mm. French. They don't feel like they're treated as if they're French, even though they're born in France. So they feel that actually, you know what, I'm going to reject that. I want to play for the country of my parents because that's where I feel like I'm from, even though I'm born in France. You might, you have, I'm sure with some player that's that's one of the issues. You've also got the career side of things. So, I don't know, Maris, for example, when he was 21, he wasn't good enough 
to play for France. But by the time he gets to 26, 27, yeah. he's, he is now good enough to play for France. But maybe by that point, he thinks, well, I've never been given any opportunity to play for France, so I'm actually going to go and play for Algeria. Um, Zaha is similar. He clearly wanted to play for England. He played in a friendly for England, didn't get any other opportunities. And then he just decided, well, England are not going to call me up anymore, so I'll go and play for uh, Côte d'Ivoire. You know, I've... I really feel that was England's loss. Yeah, 100%. Because uh, I remember when um, when Zaha was you know, still tearing it up at Crystal Palace when he came back from Manchester United. And the big question was still there, you know, will, will Roy Hodgson choose him? And they were playing Andros Townsend um, at right wing. Yeah. And I, I couldn't understand. This is like one of the darkest phases of England's life. And here you have this exciting, young, energetic player. Yeah. And, you know, England's loss is Cote d'Ivoire's gain. Um, I'm I'm very a very happy for Zaha. You get to play international football because it's yeah. it's not something like what I'm what I'm coming to realize with Afcon Daniel is that it's not something players get to do. Either it's you know the gee, they come for is so small that they aren't competitive at all, or it's that um, you know it's uh, it's that there just isn't uh, opportunity for them otherwise and. So playing, playing for a nation, playing in a tournament, and hopefully playing in a World Cup is, you know, it 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 it's a different if it's a different sort of motivation for these players. Like you see players um, across the leagues who play one way for their club, but when they put on the country's jersey, it's do or die. It's life or death for them. And I think that's really what I've seen, like the magic of Afcon, um, uh, from what I've been watching. It it, it it's good to watch an international yeah. tournament every two years. Just remind you of like how really how much at the end of the day football means for these people when you know big contracts aren't a factor when you know the glitz and glamour of a the Premier League setup isn't a factor all you're there is playing for the flag on your chest and you know trying to get some for your country. Yeah, it, it's it, yeah, it brings up different emotions. It's just a different level of passion that it is for your club, um, especially. For the so those dual nationals who have very strong connections to the country of which their parents or grandparents are from, and to be able to represent your country or represent the country that you've chosen to play for, mm. it's just yeah, as you said, that's why I've gone so great. The passion, the desire, the 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 want, and the need to feel like you need to perform for your country, even though playing for your club and some of these players play for the biggest clubs in the world, that pressure is there, but it's not the same when you've got the whole a whole nation on you to perform it's just another level of pressure another level of um yeah another level of pressure that is really hard to kind of explain but also i'm sure the players get a lot of enjoyment out of that pressure knowing that they can be the ones that lead their country to glory exactly exactly um and that's why afcon's so great and you know speaking of leading countries to glory this comes to uh Bot that uh, really puts the cat amongst the pigeons with regards to the World Cup. Now we have um, <coughs> Africa has five slots for the World Cup, and you know that that opens up a completely different um, argument for uh, uh, for an, possibly another day whether continents deserve more. But we have Egypt v Senegal, Cameroon v Algeria, Ghana v Nigeria, and uh, Democratic Republic of Congo versus Morocco. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna go just bit by bit. Um, Egypt versus Senegal. Um, you know the marquee, the marquee fixture. One of Salah or Mane will play in the World Cup. One of them won't. Yeah. How are you feeling about this one? Because we, this this could possibly be an Afcon final at the time of recording, um, listeners. This is Jan twenty ninth on a Saturday. Not entirely sure when this podcast might come up. Things might change. But as we're going, you know, Egypt v Senegal 
could be a final, um, you know, bracketed there. But uh, what what is your feeling about this one? Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's a fascinating, fascinating prospect to see these two giants of African football uh, go head to head. Uh, as you said, they could actually meet each other in the final of the AFCON if um, if they're both able to get past their quarterfinals and final opponents. So they could actually play each other three times in what just over a month, potentially. Well, about well, six yes. weeks. Yeah, that would be pretty remarkable. And three huge, high pressure games. I think it's it's going to be a very interesting game. Both teams are. Well, Senegal have got the more talent overall, but Egypt are Egypt. They've won the most. They won seven Afcons for a reason. They've got to multiple World Cups for a reason. They very solid team, great mentality, and they got Salah as a superstar. The Senegalese big talent all over the pitch, but they're a bit defensive. Their manager, so I'm not sure whether they're going to be able to become the Egyptians. I'd probably put Egypt as the favourites, just purely. I think just purely because I think they're a better organised team. They're more, more well-oiled machine, I suppose. Um, and I think that that's kind of the way I see this going. It's going to be a very tight game between the two of them over the two legs. There's not much to separate them, to be honest, in terms of the... the... Yeah, I, I, would, I would hope it's a tight game. Yeah. I want a proper, like, all-out Sweden v. Portugal of yesterday or, um, you know, qualification. Oh, from, from the... Uh, what was that? The 3-2 with Ronaldo and Ibra? Yeah. The 3-2. Ronaldo getting three and Ibra getting two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could see something like that, but I think these teams are a bit too defensive for that. I think it's going to be like... Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it ended up nil-nil over two legs, penalty shootout sort of thing. But I hope Manny and Salah, the two stars, can step up and score some great goals and create some great moments. Yeah. Because um, that's, that's what we want to see, don't we? Yes, definitely. And... Uh, you know, going on the other tasty picture, it's uh, Cameroon versus Algeria, the current hosts versus, um, well, they were the defending holders. They won't be the holders of AFCON anymore. This one's another tasty fixture, and I think it's going a little under the radar. Um, how are you seeing the chances between these two, and do you have a horse in this race? Um, yes, it's, again, very interesting fixture. As you said, tasty is a, is a perfect uh, adjective to describe this um, this fixture. Yeah, it should it should be a good one. The Algerians are looking a bit, not, well, obviously they went out of the group stage, they're not looking very good. They look like an aging team that have come to the end of their cycle. So this might be the last hurrah, I suppose. Uh, a bit like Belgium then. Yeah. I feel like the golden generation is just losing its shine. Yeah, 100%. It's like, it does a very good um, comparison. Um, but the only difference is that Algeria were able to win something. The, the Belgians have come short. They're falling short semi-finals. <laughs> so, firing shots. Firing yeah. shots. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but, um, but, oh, yeah, over these two games, I expect Cameroon to be too strong. They're a much better form. I think the midfield battle is going to be the key, and I think that Cameroon is one of the key areas midfield. Uh, with Anguissa hmm. flying at the moment, they've got a few other good options. Hongla, Sam, uh, sorry, Samuel Ungue. Samuel Ungue, uh, Martin Hongla, and they've also got a guy called Jean Onana plays in France. He's out injured at the moment, but... Um, yep. I think with that midfield, I think Algeria struggled in midfield during the tournament. They don't really have much creativity coming from those areas. And the manager, um, Belmadi, even though he's done an amazing job, is a bit resistant to play some of the more creative younger players that they have. Some of them were left out of the squad, like uh, Boudaoui, who plays for Nice. He was left out. And uh, a pretty nice passer, a guy called Emre Zigwe, who plays in Algeria. And they've got, and, um, what's his name, the last guy, ah, Kadri. Abdel Kahar Kadri, he's been a, a very good form in Belgium as well. But they're all left out the squad. They're all like under under twenty two um, in terms of their age. 